Would you bow for prayer with me, please? Shall we pray? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Father, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of you are, remember, of course, we've been away for a little bit on a vacation time, and in the first two weeks of July, we left in our trailer and headed east to be with our children and our grandchildren to celebrate our 50th anniversary in central Alberta. And so there we were with our kids and spouses and grandchildren in kind of a makeshift camp setting with three trailers kind of in a U-frame, U-shape out in the backyard of our daughter's property, and we celebrated for the weekend. And I was in the trailer on one particular day, I'm listening to the activity in the house. There was a house full of adults and kids. And as I was sitting in the trailer listening, I heard all the laughter. I heard the family in fun, in celebration. And I was grateful to the Lord for his blessing and mercy in our lives. We were celebrating a big event in our lives for Judy and me, and our family was there to affirm us and to celebrate with us. In preparation for that event in July, Judy did an awful lot of work. She pulled through pictures of some 70 years, slides, pictures, computer, over many weeks of trying to figure out how to get it all into picture format so she could build two of these large uh, three-phase stand, cardboard things, you know what I mean, where you display these. She made two of them full of pictures. One emphasized our children and a bit of their history, and one emphasized our grandchildren and a bit of their history. And so we carried them with us and displayed them in the house during the weekend. It was great to watch the children and the grandchildren looking for their own pictures and remembering various events in their lives. And it brought the two of us to begin to appreciate afresh God's faithfulness in our lives. We celebrated. And life hasn't all been positive for us. We've had losses. We've had blessings as you, as you think about your lives, the same. But we celebrated nonetheless. The scripture I read today is about remembering. It's about remembering God's faithfulness. It's about remembering the past. It's about remembering for a purpose and a plan. The scripture I read is about remembering. It's about celebrating. And for thousands of years and millions of Hebrew people, that particular text is held dear. It's held precious. It's still the Passover uh, celebrated thousands of years later in every culture, in every country around the world. And today as we gather as the church, we are also celebrating. And we are celebrating an event that's context, its history is rooted in Passover. Rooted in that same event millennia ago. In chapter 13 of Exodus, you find these words. As the Spirit gives direction through Moses. Chapter 13, verse 14. He continues in his teaching. And Moses says, In the days to come, 
When your son asks you, or if you like, when your child asks you, what does this mean? What does this mean? And your response needs to be in the context of remembering, of celebrating God's faithfulness in the past as we're reminded God's faithfulness in the present and God's faithfulness yet to come. The Lord's table that we read about, which we've read so many times, and I'll just briefly read it again in 1 Corinthians, reads like this. As Passover was being celebrated with a bunch of Jewish guys in a prepared room, Paul reminds us, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and he blessed it. And when he given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever your child asks, what does this mean? Parents, this morning, we live in an age where children still need to be taught. Amen? We live, parents, teaching the children in the age of the screen. Very different than when Judy and I raised our children. It was a different screen for us. It was a kind of a big square thing. And uh, we had one in our home, and it was, uh, I think, even still black and white back then, but doesn't matter. And we had to control our children during school, especially in the, in the school time, and saying, you could watch television so much a day. And that's it. Kids, you could watch half an hour a day, and if it's not the same program as somebody else, you could watch your half hour, but you're restricted to television half an hour a day. We remember going through teaching our children in screen time. And I realized, particularly watching our grandchildren, uh, the screen time today is different, but it is nonetheless as critical to control for our kids as it was for us with TV. Just as critical. Parents, we live in an age where our children need to be taught other than screen time. It is our responsibility to be teachers, parents. That has never changed. When your child asks, parents, are you ready? Are you prepared? When your child says, what does this mean? Folks, nothing has changed. And when they ask about what is the Lord's table, what are you to tell your children? What are you to tell your children when they say, what does it mean? In our congregation, like many congregations, the children leave during the Lord's table and they really don't experience it when they're young. But it's not impossible for moms and dads to say, by the way, in the service today, we did thus and such. And this is what we did and, oh, dad and mom, what does it mean? It is, on, it is an ongoing critical need that we keep teaching our children. Even in this day and age, nothing's changed. What would you say to your children about the Lord's table? Briefly this morning, A, B, C, D, right? It's about what Jesus did on the cross. First of all, A, kids, you need to acknowledge, acknowledge that you make mistakes. 
Acknowledge that you sin. Acknowledge that you're not perfect, just like mom and I. Acknowledge that you're not perfect. And secondly, B, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he died for that acknowledged sin, that he, that believe that he is the one true God, the Son, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and he's returning. To believe that, child, to believe that, my dear one. And thirdly, C, to confess. Okay, Dad and Mom, I agree with you. I'm going to stand out in faith at my young age and say, I confess that I am a sinner, that I've made mistakes, that Jesus is who he said he was, that the Bible said he was, and I'm going to confess yes and ask for forgiveness. And D, to become a disciple, a disciple, to declare it to my friends and to become a disciple of this Jesus Christ. World over, everywhere, for generations and centuries, it's the same simple message. What is it about? Mom and Dad, this is very familiar, of course, to most of us as we celebrate the Lord's table this morning, and we do every month. We follow the command from 1 Corinthians 11, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me, me referring to Jesus. But there's another idea I want to leave with you this morning in the context of the Lord's table. And I want to bring it before you today to add to your explanation of what you say to your children when they say to you, Mom and Dad, what does this mean? As John, a disciple of Jesus and the brother of Jesus, we believe, was recalling the events around the Passover where they celebrated and Jesus died. You got the connection. It was at that century-old celebration once a year for that week in which the Holy Spirit decided that that would be the time to make the connection. That would be the time when Jesus would go to the cross. That would be the time when he would die. To tie the two together, Passover and the Lord's table. And so John was going through this. And he was recalling the experience through the work of the Holy Spirit. John the writer. And he's recalling Jesus', Jesus crucifixion in John chapter 19. He writes these words. Go with me to John chapter 19. Now let's look at that just a bit. In John chapter 19, the Holy Spirit encouraged John to write these words, beginning at 19, verse 31. Now it was on the day of preparation, and the next day was to be the special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies to be left on crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then rose, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus with a spear, bringing sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it, now this is John, the man who saw it is given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they who will look on the one whom they have pierced. So interestingly enough, John, through the leadership of the Spirit, writes these words in the context of Passover. 
<clears throat> Sometime later, after Passover, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write. And he mentioned the fact that the bones were broken by the convict. The bones were broken with the convicts on either side, but not Jesus' bones. Why is it important? You may recall there were two convicts. And while this is a little bit PG-13 this morning, I'll just touch on it briefly. But the reason the bones had to be broken was because the, gray, the crosses had to be emptied. Now, this is Hebrew influence on the local culture. The local culture was killing these people on the crosses. But the Hebrews had an influence, and their Passover was coming, and the Sabbath was coming, and the, these bodies could not be hanging on the crosses when Sabbath started. And so the soldiers went and made sure that was the case and made sure the bodies were dead. And, of course, the way that happened was the legs were broken, and they couldn't breathe by standing. And, of course, their lives ended. Very gruesome. John is so specific here. And the details are so specific that the legs of Jesus were not broken. And you can find in the, the um, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46 the reference that was made in John chapter 19. You can write that down and look at it later. Exodus 12 verse 46. As he goes through, through, through so specifically the description of a, a lamb that was not defective. And a lamb that was perfect to be killed at the Passover. A lamb that was a male, a lamb that was unblemished, and a lamb for which the bones were not broken. And John, of course, knew this. John lived this whole thing. John celebrated Passover as a, as a youngster and as a man his whole life. He knew the context. <clears throat> It'd be a year old male without defect. And it includes do not break any bones. He's, uh, 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 Exodus twelve forty six. The perfect sacrifice is what is described in Exodus and it is interesting to me that John, through the Spirit, has decided to show you and I the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That the Son of God was equally perfect to the Lamb of Passover with no broken bones. To ensure that later readers of John would be able to see this, he also quoted from the Old Testament that Jesus died by piercing. So we have a text and comparative verses this morning. So what? How come? Why is this brought to our attention this morning? Because the death of Jesus on the cross was carried out by a perfect sacrifice, meeting all the Jewish requirements, and he definitely died. And so the scriptures we have often refer, and I found this fascinating, the scriptures we have, and you've heard this, reference to the Lamb of God. As I did a little work on this, I discovered something that I had never realized before. The importance of John's involvement in his writing related to the Lamb of God. As a matter of fact, in John 1.29, let's look at it just briefly. John 1.29, we have these words. As Jesus is being introduced through the Gospel of John, verse 29... The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. We have the same in John 1.36. He saw him again the next day. John was there again and with his two disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. My friends, the Lamb of God phrase is not used anywhere else 
in the synoptics. It's not used anywhere else in the Gospels. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It is used by John. And he's emphasizing the fact because he understood the perfect Lamb of God who went to the cross on our behalf. A Lamb that was unblemished with no broken bones. And he goes through, interestingly enough, mentioning twice in John's Gospel, the Lamb of God. Mark mentions Passover Lamb once. Acts mentions the Lamb once, but he's quoting from the Old Testament with the eunuch. And he quotes the Old Testament to refer to the Lamb of God. So it's not really an Acts, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Let me push a little further. As we realize, as we understand, the writer of John's Gospel, the brother of Jesus, likely, it's the best we can do, is also the writer of Revelation. And so, years later, the same Holy Spirit inspired the writer John to give us the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, the concept of the Lamb of God briefly mentioned in John's Gospel and not mentioned in the rest of the New Testament, comes full flower in power, in gratitude, in grace, with tremendous imaging that we find in the book of Revelation. Just some examples. Revelation 5, as John writes through the leadership of the Spirit, Revelation 5, verse 6. I'll get there in a minute, just as you're looking for it. So am I. Revelation 5, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as though he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And he goes on in the fifth chapter to describe this lamb. In 7.17, John writes, For the Lamb is at the center of the throne, the throne of God. Where, uh, sorry, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear. And then in 21 of Revelation 23, which I read earlier. 21-23. The city does not need a sun, nor the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And so we find also in this particular uh, book of Revelation, as the scrolls are there and need to be opened, it is this perfect Lamb that is able only to open the scrolls in all of history, of all of eternity, amongst everything that's ever lived, only the Lamb of God can open the scrolls. And finally this morning, we've often referred to, haven't we, our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. As we've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, our names are written down, and the reference to it is the Lamb's Book of Life. No biblical text says that Jesus' body was broken, agreeing with John's intent. The subject reminds us of the importance of the careful, our careful study of scriptures. We have here a strategy influenced by the Holy Spirit to educate us about the Lamb of God 
centered on the theme of the Lord's table this morning. And I'm reminded finally this morning as new ideas come in our life, whether it's through the screen or through the writing of books or through authors worldwide, when new ideas come and new research develops, we need to always be going back to studying, my friends, the Word of God for clarification as best as we can understand it. Over the years, I, like you, have struggled with theories that are spoken as facts. And I've learned over the years that if I am challenged by certain facts, whether theories or scientific or whatever, or in school or in class, and it seems to conflict with what I understand with the Bible, what I have learned over the years is what? I have learned to wait. To simply wait. I'm not clear what something means. I'm not clear what a theory is saying. I'm not sure how it fits Scripture. And so I have learned, dear friends, with you to just wait because the Spirit continues to reveal to us the truth of the Bible, the claims of Scripture, the return of Christ, the confirmation of His death and resurrection, confirmed in our lives again and again. And so this morning, as we gather around the table, We celebrate. We remember. And those of you who've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, remember that event and remember that with pleasure. And remember, as I've mentioned before, the person or persons who were responsible for teaching you and bringing you to that place by faith in Christ. May have been your parents. May have been a missionary preacher like it was with me. Whoever it was, sometimes around this table, I remember those people who influenced me that I can sit here by gratitude And remember what Jesus did on the cross. And remind myself this morning of the significance as it's tied to the Passover that was taught to the people by Moses in which the Holy Spirit brought Christ at that very week for Him to die on the cross that very week so there's a connection between Passover and the Lord's table. And someday in the future when we meet the Lamb of God with our names in the Lamb's book of life. He will be the light in eternity. He will be the light when there's no need for a sun or a moon. It will be the Lamb you and I see. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Shall we bow for prayer? Father, through Jesus and by the power of the same Spirit who influenced John, We this morning express our gratitude, our celebrative event. May we not this morning, our Father, for any moment take it for granted. Take for granted, Father, that even simply those who prepared the table before us here in Ebenezer. Simply that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. Simply that you prepared this before the dawn of creation. And we celebrate In Jesus' name, amen.